James chapter 5. Um, this is the last and final chapter of the book of James. And um, we, we've been in this series. We've been talking about, we've been in the book of James primarily because, uh, one, it's, there's a ton of practical living. In fact, the first four chapters are, are almost all practical and uh, just on wisdom and taming the tongue. And there's all sorts of different things in the first four chapters of James that are very fundamental for living. Many people would say like it's one of the most practical books of the Bible on just how to live as a Christian. Um, but when you get to chapter five, um, it, it kind of turns a corner and it kind of gets a little spiritual, like even I would say uh, deep, spirit, spiritually deep. Uh, and I, I, I'd like to say he saved the best for last. I don't know what he was thinking when he wrote it um, or what the Holy Spirit was using him to do, but I do know that it ends um, on some of the most fundamental points and principles that we find in our Christian, our Christian life. And really, there's a, there's a huge call to prayer and to faith and to believe. Um, you know, this is a book that's written to those who are scattered. It's to the 12 tribes who are dispersed. They're around. They're scattered. They're not meeting together like they usually were. They're not in the same city that they once were. And so it's very uh, applicable to where you and I are at. We aren't all together. Um, there are people that Lindsay and I have not seen since the beginning, uh, since March, the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm sure that's true for every person in this room. There are those in your life that you have not seen face to face since this all got started. And so there's a topsy-turviness. There's a, a, a scattered feeling that we're not together. Things aren't the way they used to be. And James is writing to that kind of people. He's writing to a persecuted people, a scattered people, a, a people that um, life is not as it was. And he ends his book with this chapter five, and we're going to end today on this chapter as well. And we'll move on to something even more wonderful uh, in the weeks to come. But James chapter five, verses 13 through 16. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about the prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? That's how he begins, James chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble, verse 13? Is anyone among you in trouble? And I just think we could start right there because I would say there's some level that we could all probably raise our hand and say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're in trouble. <laughs> you might look at our world and you would say that about our world, right? Our world is in trouble. Our um, economy uh, is in trouble, um, even though it feels probably okay right now. You know, that's it's like the sleeping giant. There's, there's things that are in trouble in your life. You might look at your own life and maybe your finances were impacted in the last year or your relationships were impacted in the last year. So we could all probably answer this question. Yeah, there's some trouble that's brewing, uh, whether it's felt trouble or trouble that's coming in the future. And he, he answers the question. He said, let them pray. Let them pray. Is anyone among you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. I want to read a quote by um, a pastor named Chris Hodges. He says this about prayer. Prayer is the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. The best I can do and the best God can do. I think we all get to places in our life where our human willpower, our human effort just doesn't measure up. I love that song that we sang, I'm not enough unless you come. Can you meet me here today? Holy Spirit, come. I'm not enough unless you come. I know that's the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is not measure up. The essence of the gospel is really, I don't measure up. 
I'm not enough. I don't have enough. There's not enough obedience that I can live up to. There's not enough holiness that I can live up to. I can't do enough right in this life to earn salvation, to earn the love of God. I receive it because he's so good. And in knowing that I am not enough, that causes me to have a deep love with Jesus. That causes me to have a deep dependence on Jesus and a deep hunger for Jesus and a deep appreciation for my salvation. And so I think sometimes when we're struggling in our relationship with God, we often are wanting to look to God to be the one that we blame. Well, God didn't do this and God didn't do that or God hasn't come close. When the reality is maybe we're not aware of how great of a salvation that we have received. Man, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I think many of the faithless points of doubt in our life could be answered with just that simple idea of, I am saved. And it's a miracle. What God did for me, I don't deserve this, man. This life that I have, I don't deserve this. There are times when we are simply not enough. And we kind of say it tongue in cheek. I don't know if you've heard this phrase or maybe you've said it in conversation. I know I'm guilty of it. It's like, we tried this, we tried this, we tried this, and then we decided to pray. And we finally got around to praying. Has anybody, anybody guilty of that? Like, yeah, we, you know, we, we went to this doctor, went to that doctor, went to this nurse, you know, tried this homeopathic method. And we went on, on and on and on and on and on and on and on, test and test and test. And then, you know, we just got to the place where we just need a miracle. We just need to pray. It's like, man, I wish that that wasn't our last resort, you know, but actually it's okay that it is because that's where God wants to show up. He wants to show up when we've tried everything else. When, when, he is, when, he, when looking to him and saying, I need a miracle in this situation. Um, you know, five years, we just passed our five-year anniversary as the pastors of this church. Before that, Pastor Greg uh, pioneered the church in 1989. Pastor Greg's in the back there. Everybody say, what's up? Pastor Greg, raise your hand there. Uh, Pastor Greg did our youth Bible study this morning at 9 a.m. He's still vibrant, active. Uh, still participates in everything that we do around here. But um, when the district supervisor of Foursquare asked, you know, if we would uh, consider the church and we we're coming up here and, you know, visiting and getting to know people and different things like that, one of the things that left my mouth in a, in a lunch that we were having, my wife was there, is I said, yeah, it would be a miracle if this all works. If it, like if it actually worked, you know, if it worked. Like it would be a miracle. That's what I said. And he looked at me and he was so straight-faced and he was so confident and such like, scholarly pastoral wisdom. And he said, James, every church is a miracle. Every church is a miracle. And I was like, wow, what a reminder. That stuck with me because what a reminder of like, you know, you being here this morning is a miracle. And not just because you lost an hour of sleep. You being here this morning, you could be anywhere this morning. You could be nursing a hangover this morning. You could be on your way to your next hangover this morning. You could be anywhere. I mean, you know, you could be anywhere. You could have never met Jesus in your life. You literally could be there and you could have never encountered the Lord. It is a miracle that you met Jesus. It is a miracle that you're saved. It is a miracle that you are where you are, doing what you're doing, believing what you're believing. That is a miracle. And every church that exists in a pagan culture like ours is a miracle. And when we lose that just freshness that God does miracles and we look at all the ones that he doesn't do, we look at all the times that he doesn't come through and we let that questioning and that doubt outweigh all the miracles that we're currently living in. Man, we miss faith. We miss the richness and the freshness of the life that God wants to have with us. And so wherever you're at on the spectrum of your pursuit of God, ask him to remind you of the miracles that you're living in right now. 
the miracle of the breath in your lungs. Man, uh, this church is a miracle. Every church is a miracle. You know, churches don't survive transitions. That's a miracle. That's a thing that happens. Churches don't survive being planted, you know, 1989. I mean, how much money did you have when you started the church, Pastor Greg? $500. You know, $500 and a handshake and a prayer. Go get them, tiger. You know, like that's everything in our lives are miracles. And just to be reminded of the freshness of that makes us anticipate the next miracle that God is going to do and believe for it. Um, James makes three statements on prayer. And I, I want, I kind of, I didn't exactly put them the way that he says them. But prayer puts my unknown future in the hands of an, un, an all-knowing God. Prayer puts my unknown future in the hands of an all-knowing God. Here's the thing. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what life is going to look like tomorrow. We don't know what life is going to hold. Uh, we learn to pray today because tomorrow is coming. And as we grow in our confidence, as we grow in this confidence of who God is, and as we grow in this confident language of prayer, we begin to see God move in our lives and we... we the next thing isn't as hard as the last thing was because we can trust that God is faithful. Look at James 5.13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Let them pray. And, you know, James is talking to a group of people who would all have found themselves in trouble. They were not where they were supposed to be. They weren't where life was familiar. They were a scattered people. And he says, if you're in trouble, man, that's the time to begin to pray. Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 6, 31 through 34. He says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen, most of human history has been about worrying about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, and what you're going to drink. Food, water, and shelter. In fact, if you were to take all of human history, the majority of humans that have graced this planet, planet Earth, who have lived here, have only had three things on their mind all day long, every day. Food, water, shelter. <laughs> How am I going to survive today. It is only in this amazing Western reality of culture and life that we find ourselves asking bigger questions about like, what's my purpose? You know, that's a luxury. That's a luxury. In the scope of human history, it's a luxury to ask, what's my purpose? So every time you ask about what your, your purpose is, every time you feel anxiety about what your job should be, that, and, and as long as it's not food, water, shelter, anytime you feel those things, you just say, thank you. Thank you that I have the luxury to ask, what's my purpose? Because for the last thousands of years, whether you're an old earther or a young earther, how many of you know people haven't had the luxury of asking that question? It's like, how am I going to survive today? What am I going to eat today? Where am I going to get food today? What warlord is trying to kill me today? I mean, that's the majority of human history. We live in this place and this time where we get to ask deeper questions, and yet we're filled with anxiety about questions. None of us, I'm, I'm assuming here, but none of us woke up this morning and say, I wonder if I'm going to eat today. I wonder if I'm going to eat today. Uh, nobody woke up this morning and say, 
not what I'm going to eat. Some, everybody woke up. I said, I wonder what I'm going to eat today. I woke up this morning. I said, I'm making fish tacos tonight for the family. Uh, if I'm going to eat today. Nobody woke up saying, if I'm going to eat today. Nobody woke up this morning saying, I wonder what if I'll have access to clean drinking water today. Um, I wonder if I'll be sleeping outside or if I'll have shelter. For, for the most part, that is not the questions we're asking when we wake up in the morning. We're, we have the luxury of asking deeper questions. So even in our questions, we should have thankfulness. Even in our questioning, we should have thankfulness. Listen, the cure for anxiety, and I really believe this, I, I'm not saying there's not medicine out there and there's not uh, therapy and um, all these different things that you can do. Absolutely, there's real clinical anxiety, but then there's just the anxiety that every human b- being carries and has to deal with. Um, anxiety on the inside is like a call to prayer. It's a call to prayer. In fact, when I was young, we, my first Muslim country that I spent time in was Malaysia, and we were in Kuala Lumpur, and I was not prepared for the Muslim call to prayer that would echo through the streets five times a day. And it's on loudspeakers, big loudspeakers at the top of the minaret, and five times a day there was a call to prayer. And it was loud, and it was a loud prayer, and it was a chant, and it I mean, I'll be honest with you. The first couple of times I heard it, it was a little intimidating. It's like, oh, wow, this is, this is serious. But it was a reminder for everyone listening, now's the time to pray. Anxiety works the same way in your life, whether you recognize it or not. When you start to feel this worry, when you start to feel this anxiety as a believer in Jesus Christ, that is a call to prayer. That is a call to a fresh perspective, uh, to bring your life back under the will of God and say, hey, listen, I'm going to do what Jesus says, and I'm not going to worry. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love Matthew 6.10. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do in every situation. And so I pray, God, not my way, but your way. God, not what I want, but what you want. When you start to feel anxiety, when you start to feel worry, when you start to get uh, anxious over the, ne- the decisions that you have to make, that is, needs to be like an alarm bell to pray, an alarm bell to silence your heart and to call on God and to believe for what he has for your life. And you know, we're going to talk about what it means to have a prayer of faith, but I, I don't know about you, um, but when people pray for me, um, when I'm, let's say I'm sick or going through something, I'm going to give you two prayers, and I want you guys to decide which person you want praying for you, okay, when, when that comes up, when you're experiencing a sickness. Here's the first prayer. Um, <clears throat> dear God, we, we pray for sister so-and-so, and we just believe that, you know, here she is on her sick bed, and, you know, you're a mystery, God, and who can really know you? Who can really know what, what you want or what you're doing? And I know there's lessons that she's learning here on her sickbed, and Lord, if you would find it in your heart, I mean, we know she's, she's probably going to die, but if you would find it in your heart to maybe do a miracle, then, you know, we'd be okay with that. Or do you want this person praying for you? In the name of Jesus, Lord, we believe that you are the God who heals, that you are the God who delivers, that by your stripes we are healed. And we believe for sister so-and-so that this would not be the end, that she would live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. God, we thank you that this is part of what you paid for on the cross. Listen, I want that person praying for me even if it looks horrible. 
even if the prognosis is likely that that's going to happen. I want that person praying for me. I don't want the person praying for me who's, you know, just like so all over the place with where they think God is at and what they think God is doing. Because listen, one is just a a relinquishing, listen, of, hey, I can't possibly know. And the other pushes and says, no, I believe that God has more. I believe that God wants to do more. Listen, prayer puts my hopeless situation in the hands of an all-powerful God. Yeah, it puts my hopeless situation. Listen, in times, especially when we're praying, when it comes to sickness, and I know we've all had experiences where we didn't see God come through like we had wanted him to come through. Nevertheless, how do you want someone praying for you next time? I still want somebody praying faith. I still want somebody praying who believes that God can and God will and God wants to and that healing is part of the curse and it's not part of God's original pl- or death and sickness is not is part of the curse and it's not part of God's original plan and healing is actually what God always wanted for his people and what Jesus died to provide and how it works out on this side of heaven I don't know but man at the end of the day I want to be faithful I want to pray prayers of faith. I want to believe that God can and God wants to and God will. And why it doesn't happen, we will have that discussion when we get to heaven. And why it didn't happen when and and with who and and how. Man, I've had those moments. And I thought to myself, surely, God, that would have been the moment where God would have come through. And it didn't work out the way that I anticipated. But you know what? It's not going to stop me the next time that I have to stand next to somebody and pray the prayer of faith. I'm not going to be stopped by my past experience. I'm going to let the word define how I pray. I'm going to let God define how I pray, and I'm going to let the Spirit of the living God define how I pray, not my past experiences. Look at James 5, 14 through 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And here's the thing, as we, as Western believers, as uh you know, free thinking, logic, especially if you're a logical thinker, if you're like me, the first thought that comes into your mind, yeah, but, and we, we point to an experience where this didn't happen the way that James, and so what is James saying? Like, how, how, what parts of the Bible can I believe and what parts of the Bible do j- just have to stay in nuance and I'm never going to understand? And here's the thing, I think this, I think that if there was an escape clause when it came to faith, we would take it every time. If there, was a, if there was a list of times when God wouldn't come through, we would just point to the list every time and we would never pray, pray in faith. We just point to the list, well, that's, that's it, you know? And how many of you know that's what happens when the disciples come to Jesus and say, where's the sin in his life? And he says, this person didn't sin. This sickness isn't from sin. That's what Jesus says. He says, this isn't from sin. This is for the, wor- the glory of God to be revealed, in this moment, listen, Romans 5, 18 through 21 says this, even when there is no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And I know I use this passage a lot, but I'm telling you what, it never gets old for me. And so it was Sarah's womb. He is looking at himself and he is looking at Sarah and he's saying, my downstairs is dead. Her downstairs is dead. We're a hundred plus. This isn't happening. 
That's what he's saying, right? He's saying this is not going to happen. And if you're a young person in the room wondering what the downstairs is, you know, that's, that's why we have good and godly parents to explain that to us. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. It's in the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible, all right? You know, you're gonna have to take it up with God when you get there, all right? Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And listen, this is interesting to me because I can read this passage all the time. I preach on this passage, but this is the first time I saw this in the passage. Abraham's faith did not weaken. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And yet you and I, we oftentimes experience the exact opposite that the longer it takes for a promise to come to pass that God's given us, the less our faith is that that's actually going to come pass, come to pass. What I do to myself is like, well, I misheard. <laughs> I just misheard God. I thought he was promising one thing. I must have made a mistake. Anybody do that? You convince yourself that the promises of God aren't really the promises of God for your life because I just must have misheard. I, I, missed, I missed it. I'm flawed. He's not flawed. I'm flawed. We, if we sound really spiritual when we do that, like, I trust God. I'm, I know that I'm the problem. He's amazing. His promises are true. I misheard God. And we give God the, the out on his promises. But here's what happened with Abraham. The longer the promise took to fulfill, the more his faith that the promise would be fulfilled grew. That's a fascinating reality and one that we experience the exact opposite of. We have people who have incredible experiences in there as a young person with God, right? They're 18 to 25, you know, teenage years, dramatic salvation encounters. And over time, their faith seems to wear off. It seems to wane. Life hits them. Priorities hit them. And they sometimes, oftentimes lose their faith. But Abraham grew in his faith in the midst of a promise that wasn't being fulfilled. And he was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. Listen, God can work in your situation. He, at, he is at work in your situation, and he can do it. He can do it. Don't give, don't give yourself and God an out. I'm not saying that we don't mishear God sometimes, but don't make every time that God doesn't show, in your life, show up in your life something that you misheard. Make it a point of persistence. Oh no, I know what I heard. <laughs> I know what I heard. It just hasn't happened yet. God's going to get so much glory. I think Abraham got excited because he knew now, now I will be the story I'll be able to tell. I was a hundred and she was a hundred. I was dead and she was dead. And boom, Isaac, it was amazing. I think he grew, I think the older he got, the years that would go by, he's like, oh man, this is really going to be a miracle. It just went from a kind of miracle to a big, big miracle. This is a, this is a miracle beyond all the miracles because there's, wow, what are you going to do now, God? Um, listen, prayer puts my broken life into the hands of an all-forgiving God. Look at James 5, 15 through 16. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen, the Bible also says that no one is righteous, no, not one. And it also says your righteousness is as of filthy rags. Oh man, this is, this is tough to understand because if the prayers of a righteous man are the ones that are effective, how can I ever pray a righteous prayer if I'm not a righteous man? You might look at yourself and you might say, yeah, I can point to some areas in my life that I wasn't exactly righteous, but, but wait, there's more. 
right? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. Listen, righteousness simply means this, right standing with God. And I know this is really elementary gospel stuff. This is basic doctrine. And I've, you probably heard a sermon like this a hundred times if you've been in the church for any length of time. But here's the reality, that you were made right, righteous before God when you put your hope, trust, and faith in Jesus. So that when you pray a prayer, that prayer, man, that is heard by heaven because of your right standing with God. Oftentimes our prayer, the first example of a prayer that I prayed, oftentimes we pray that way because we don't know who we are before God. We, we're still trying to convince ourselves that he even likes us, that he even loves us, that we're his kid, that we're not, that this isn't all just some cosmic trick or something like that. We're still trying to convince us of who we are. And God's saying, no, I want you to pray a prayer. You're, you're, a, pers- you're a righteous person, not because of your work, but because of Jesus's work. We need to remind ourselves who we actually are, and our prayers will change. The tone of our prayers will change. The dynamism of our prayers will change. The authority in our prayers will change when we understand who we are, that you have been made right with God. Look at Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, there is no brokenness in your life that God doesn't want to redeem you from, that God doesn't want to restore you from. There is no sin in your life. There is no um, shortcoming in your life. There is no uh, you know, discrepancy in your life, no, no point where your personality isn't qualified. There's nothing in your life that God doesn't want to redeem you from, forgive you from, and restore you to right standing with him. And when we understand that that's what, again, what is it going to produce when we understand that that's what Jesus did for us? It's going to produce a gratitude and a thankfulness and a joy and a belief that, man, he saved me from so much. I don't deserve this. And then he invites me to pray. Look at James 5, 17 through 18. We're going to talk about building our faith and how God wants to build our faith. Uh, James 5, 17 through 18. And I like this passage because James does for his audience, the people that are reading this, exactly what I think he needs to do for us who are reading this thousands of years later. And he says this, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And if if you, you know, you know this, but Christians in the New Testament were predominantly Jews who had been saved. There were Gentiles getting saved, but many of them had a Jewish background. And there would have been two really huge heroes in their faith from the time they were little kids. And Moses would be one and Elijah would be one. And I have to wonder if they weren't the heroes for little Jewish boys and girls uh, 2,000 years ago like they kind of are for us. Because Moses and Elijah did some cool stuff. (laughs) Like they got to see some pretty miraculous things happen through, through, their, through their lives. Moses got to stand at the Red Sea and watch it part. Elijah got to see um, God provide the oil and the bread and see it multiply and multiply and so many other things. Elijah got to stand on Mount, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and, uh, and they were weeping and wailing for days on end for fire to fall on their sacrifice. And, and Elijah, you know, dug a, a moat and filled it with water and then soaked his sacrifice in water just to say, uh, uh, uh. and, you know, got to see, like, just oh, watch my God now. Watch him, watch him, watch him work. Watch 
watch him work and then got to see the fire, like a fireball from heaven consume the sacrifice. And he just got to sit down there. He he even did this to the prophets of Baal. He said, where's your God? Is he taking a, you know, is he on the toilet? That's what Elijah the prophet said. Where's your God? Is he sleeping? Is he taking a dump? Where is he? Huh? Huh? Where is your God? That's what Elijah got to do. He was I mean, I wish I could say what I think he was. He was bad. He was a bad man, right? He was just awesome, like bad to the bone, if you know what I'm saying. Like he was cool. He was a cool dude and he was a hero. And James says, I want you to remember to his audience, I want you to remember that he was just a man. He was just a man. You have made this guy a hero, not realizing that God wants that with you. You have made this guy, well, God does that for others. Who's your favorite hero in the faith? Who's your modern day prophet? Who's the pastor that you look to or the grandmother or the mom is like, oh, their faith. Well, God answered their prayers. And then we subtly in saying that, we're kind of also saying, and I don't know that he really pay attention to mine. (laughs) I'm, I'm not like that. And James is saying he was just a man, just like you. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That only works for Elijah. That's what we want to say to ourselves. When you read the Bible, it's the tendency of every human who has has read the Bible. That works for Elijah. That works for Moses. That works for Paul. That was the New Testament Christians. They got to see the stuff. That works for Billy Graham. That, you know, that works for, you know, whoever. Whoever your hero is, that works for them. It's it's not really how it works for me. And I think it's more of an identity issue. You looking to become righteousness rather than recognizing that Jesus has made you righteous. God wants to do those things in our lives. He wants to do those things through our lives. Look at, speaking of Elijah, 1 Kings 17 one is this, uh, this famous story. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe, which I, I always think is funny, the Tishbite from Tishbe, uh, in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives from whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah was carrying around a word from God. So Elijah has the audacity to say, there's not going to be dew and there's not going to be rain until I say so. And by me saying so, it's gonna, how many of you know you're going to need to hear from God before you pray a prayer like that? Before you make a statement like that, you better know that you know that you've got a word from God because that's a pretty intense claim to make. Listen, faith begins with a word from God. If we're going to be the kind of people that pray prayers of faith, it's, it's got to begin with a word from God. And I know this would be the cliche point to say like, man, read your Bible more. <laughs> I know we all need to read our Bibles more. Uh, But how many of you know what you really need is you need to hear from God more through his word. That's very different than read your Bible more. Read your Bible more is a checklist and a homework assignment, right? Hear from God through his word for your day. Man, that's, that's relationship. He wants to speak to you through his word and you need a word on your heart. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17 says. Joshua 24, 15, maybe you're praying for a loved one who's, who's off doing their own thing, who's far from God. But as for me and my family, we're gonna serve the Lord. That can be a word for God, from God for you when you pray for that young person or that uh, wayward friend that's you know, off doing their own thing, far from God. God, I believe that we're gonna serve you. 
We're going to serve you forever. We're going to believe for you. Me and my family are going to serve the Lord. Psalms 91, 2 through 3 says this, This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. I trust in him, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. Hey, listen, there is nothing wrong with a vaccine. You, you have an opportunity to get the vaccine. I'm going to tell you, you need to do what you feel you're called to do. But listen, he alone is my refuge. He alone is my place of safety. It doesn't mean don't walk in wisdom. It doesn't mean don't, don't take care of your body. It doesn't mean don't do healthy precautions, take medicine as it's available. Like we are not anti-vaxxers. We, you know, we're not any of that. But how many of you know, listen, at the end of the day, God is our protector. He is our safe refuge. Don't put a vaccine in front of him. Don't put a um, don't don't put a politician in front of him. Don't put put a political party in front of him. Don't put an ethnicity in front of him. Don't put any any nothing before God. He is your protector. He is your safe refuge. And I think sometimes we 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 look for lesser things to put our hope in because it's easy and we can control it. It's within our control, and God is not but he can be trusted. He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. Philippians 4.19 says this, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Man, if you're going through financial trouble, you need a word from God that you can hold on to. The reason why Elijah was able with confidence to say what God had said to him is because he had heard from God. You need to hear from God for your situation. Get a word from the Lord. Philippians 1.21 through one through three says this, I look up to the mountains and to Capitol Hill, a longing for God's help. But then I realize that our true help and protection come only from the Lord, our creator, who made the heavens and the earth. He will guard and guide me, never letting me stumble or fall. I look to the mountains and I look to the hills. I look to the government and I look to the people around me and I say, man, God is going to bring me help from there. But then I realize, oh no, my help only comes from God. Some of you guys are going to get helped out this week, right? You know what I'm talking about. You're going to get a little check in the mail. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? In case you're wondering, there is a scripture that says you're supposed to tithe on your stimulus. I'm just saying. Um, it's in there. I, it's in First Hesitations 3.9. But you're going to get a little help. But don't make the confusion that my help comes from man. Don't, make the, don't, don't confuse that my help comes from a check that my help comes from money, that my help comes from government, or my help comes from my community. Your help comes from the Lord. Your help comes from Him. And listen, the help that we're going to receive this week as a family, we've got four kids. It's going to be a lot of help. And our kids are going to get braces because we get some help. But it's already spent. It's already gone. It's already gone. We don't even know if it's coming and it's already gone. But here's the thing. That's just a side note. That's a different message for a different time. That's for the marriage seminar. All right. But here's the thing. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. You need to get a word in your heart that convinces you of the truth of God's word for your life. Or you will just be, you'll just go, you'll be flying around by every wind of doctrine, James says. Tossed by the waves of the sea, just topsy-turvy. You won't have any footing or any grounding. You won't be anchored to the truth. Get a word from God for your situation. That makes Bible reading fun. And it makes it way more than reading. I love on the Bible app, there's even like different plans on the YouVersion Bible app that you can get and you can get a plan for anxiety. You can get a plan for depression. You can get a plan for lust, for overcoming lust. You can get a plan for overcoming temptation. You can get these different plans and then they just feed you the Bible verses associated with that 
reality. You can get a plan for provision, man. You're shovel- you can get a Bible reading plan on all the verses about God's provision for your life, about your help coming from him. I just encourage you, get the word of God in your heart so that you don't get it twisted, so you don't get swayed, so that you don't uh, let your faith diminish. So like you, like Abraham, can look and say, my faith is growing, not declining. In Jesus' name. All right, 1 Kings 18, 41 through 42. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. And listen, he was starting to pray. He said, go, I hear the sound of rain. And I mean, you know, it hadn't sounded like rain yet. I hear the sound of rain. Go, get ready. The rain's coming. And then what Elijah did is he put his head in the ground, put his head between his knees and he said, oh God, bring the rain. Oh God, bring the rain. I just said the rain's coming. God, you got to come through. Come through with rain. Listen, faith builds when we determine not to give up. Faith can, can increase. When, we, when we've said that there is no going back. You know, I love that one uh, burn the ships analogy, right? Where the, uh, the, the conquistadors came over and um, because they had to conquer this land, he made them burn the ships because they wanted to leave and go back home. He's like, no, nope, burn the ships. We're not going anywhere. And they were like, oh, this is our new home now. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Sometimes we need to do that in our walk with God. No back out plan, no options, no plan B. No, if God doesn't come through, just man, he's going to come through. He's going to provide. He's going to heal. He's going to restore. He's going to make all things new. He can be trusted. Look at 1 King 18, 33 through 34. Go, this is Elijah, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and, went, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. Go back. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's fist is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. The rain is coming. And I just want, I just want to focus in on the seven times that Elijah was waiting on a promise of God. He tells his servant, go look for rain. Hey, uh, no rain. Go look for rain. Hey, no rain. Third time, go look for rain. No rain. Go look for rain, no rain. At some point for me, I care about people. I'd be starting to say like, I, that's, is this really worth his time? Like, I, you know, maybe I can go look for rain myself. Like I, he persisted, kept seven times. He sent his servant back, look for rain. God said, God said, God said, God said, God gave me a promise. That's how important it is to have a word from God. Faith builds when we determine not to give up. Look at Hebrews 10, 36 through 39. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for you. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Listen, how many people have given up right before their breakthrough? How many people stopped praying and stopped believing right before the moment where God wanted to intervene in their world? If you've heard from God for something, listen, I just encourage you, hear from him and persist. The Bible says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. When you're, when you're going after something with the Lord, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. My dad was a chaplain for Placer County Jail when I was growing up, and he would hold Bible studies at the jail, and he would have inmates that would come to him after they got saved, and they're like, man, it's just not working. And he'd say, hey, how, long, how many years did you live for the world? How many years did you do your own thing? Oh, my whole life, 27 years. 27 years I've been 
drugs, alcohol, gangs, doing my own thing. And he said, give God 27 years. Give God 27 years. Give God 13 years. Split the difference. You're going to have to give him more than a month. You're going to have to give him more than six weeks. Man, this is a, this is a lifestyle of pursuit. It's a lifestyle of persistence. It's a lifestyle of belief. And if you, get dis, if you did get discouraged, go look at Abraham. A hundred years, dead inside, and God comes through. A hundred years. Faith builds when we determine not to give up. Look at 1 Kings 18, 45 through 46. Meanwhile, the, scri- the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Where's Jenny? You can come on up. Listen, fake faith breaks through the natural into the supernatural. Here's what happens. So after Elijah makes this prayer, makes this promise, makes this prophecy that the rain's coming, the rain starts to come and he says, go tell Ahab to get in his chariot unless the, because the rain's going to stop him if he doesn't get in his chariot and start go, heading for Jezreel. And after the rain came, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and he's got one of those cloaks on, you know, maybe it's like a long, you know, tunic. And uh, it says he, tuck it, he tucked it into his belt and the power of God came on. And I don't know if you missed this in the story, he ran faster than the chariot. Ahab was in a chariot and Elijah passed him up. Everybody say impossible. That's impossible. It was impossible. It was supernatural. Here's the thing. When you and I pray prayers of faith, at least we allow for the possibility of the supernatural. If we won't even believe because of past experiences or times where it didn't work out the way we thought it should work out, if we won't even try, we limit the possibility of the supernatural to zero. We limit it. We just say, that, that's not for me. It's, it's not in my control. It's too hard to navigate. There's too many questions. So I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to believe for those things. I'm not going to trust God with those things. I'm going to take whole sections of scripture and I'm just going to put them aside because I can't, ah, I can't understand it. So I'm not going to do it. And we limit ourselves from the supernatural. Elijah ran faster than a chariot because he wouldn't be limited by what he believed God could do in his life. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and he said to them, with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You're a living miracle because you know Jesus. James ends the book with two verses in Matthew, or in James 5, 19 through 20. He says this, brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sin. Perhaps the greatest supernatural thing that you and I should be believing for and wanting and seeing God do in and through our lives is that he would use us to draw someone else to himself. That he would use us to impact another person, to turn them from the way they're walking to the life that God has for them. And it's simple. It's, it's not as complicated as we make it just love them and want the best for them and and believe that God would have you would use you to impact their life and draw them back to a place of relationship with himself would you stand up with me